ever seen and no one has ever seen the depth of your majesty and there has never been a greater love than your son no not a one and there will never be a name above no not a one and with his life you have forgiven us hope has come hope has come and there will never be a greater love no not a one Jesus here today, the everlasting one, King of kings and the Lord of lords, there's no one like him. His mercy endures every day. Strength will rise as we wait upon the Lord, we will wait upon the, we will wait upon the Lord. Strength will rise as we wait upon the Lord, we will Oh God, you reign forever. Our hope, our strong deliverer. You are the everlasting God, the everlasting God. You do. As we wait upon the Lord, we will wait upon the Lord, we will wait upon the Lord. Our God, you reign forever, our hope, our strong deliverer. You are the everlasting God, the everlasting God. You do nothing. 
sing, our God, you reign forever. Our hope, let's sing that. Our God, you reign forever. Our hope, our hope. Come on, people of God. Our God, you reign. Our hope, our hope. Our strong deliverer. You going to sing a song this morning that is it's just proclaiming God's power. Um, he is the great I am. Uh, he is God three in one, powerful and mighty. And that's what we're singing about. We're, we're proclaiming who he is. Um, and when we, when we recognize who he is and we see ourselves in comparison to who he is, it's, it should compel you to worship. It should compel us to feel humbled, you know, he's so great, he's so big, he's so mighty, he's so able, he's, he's everything that we're not, um, because he's good and righteous, and, and that's what this song celebrates, it celebrates that, you know, if God is for you, no one and nothing can be against you, um, that even when the forces of evil unseen, that we can't, the things that we can't see, uh, even if it feels like the whole world is against you, the Lord is with you. The Lord is with us. So it's important that we proclaim that and celebrate that. Um, to be near to him, to, be, to follow him, um, to be directed by him. So let's make that our prayer this morning. This isn't a new song, um, but from my understanding, it's a new song to adventure. So you may not know it. I hope you do. And as always, we want you to participate with us. We want you to sing with us. This is not a concert or a show. We want you to worship with us as, so we can be worshiping as one body. Uh, so join us as we sing this song in proclaiming who God is. I want to be close, close to your side. So heaven is real. Death is a lie. I want to hear voices of angels above singing as one. Hallelujah. 
and shake before you, the demons run and flee, at the mention of your name, King of Majesty, there is no power in hell, nor any who can stand before the power and the presence of the great I am, the great shake before you sing that the mountains shake before you the demons run and flee at the mention of your name king of majesty there is no power in hell nor any who can stand before the power and the presence of the great i am the great i am
to God, the great I am, the great I am, it's the great I am, he's the great I am, the great I am, it's no one like our God, no one like him, one more time, the great I am, we sing of your greatness, God, the great stronger than all things. No weapon formed against you shall prosper. To him every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. It's the inescapable truth, God, that you are sovereign and that's good. Help us, Lord, to follow your leading, to trust in you. Thank you for your many blessings that you give us. Help us to see the things that you're doing that are good. Help us to not get in the way of those things, Lord, but to follow you. Illuminate the truth, Jesus. And lead us in the way of everlasting life. Lead us down that narrow path and strengthen us as we walk down it. We know that you are by our side. We ask God for your wisdom. We ask for your discernment. And we ask that you would grant us peace in every season. Claim his greatness now. Sing with me, church. How great is our God. Sing with me. How great is our God. And all will see how, how great, how great is our God. One more time. How great. How great our God. Sing with me. Sing with me. How great our God. And all will see how great, how great is our God. We're going to sing that again. This is what I know. I know. There's many of you here today who've heard this song a thousand times, maybe more. I'm going to challenge you right now. If you're here and you've heard this song a thousand times and you know it, I want to challenge you. Don't pay attention to that. You don't need it. Go here. Go here. For you, that may be that you close your eyes. For you, it may be that you look at the floor. For you, it may be, I don't know what it is for you. Everybody's different. But I know one thing. You don't need the lyrics. You know this song. Sing it to Jesus. Sing it to him. This isn't about us. It's not about you, and it's not about your neighbor. We're here to worship God as a people. So let's do that together. You know this song. Come on. Let's sing, How Great Is Our God. Come on. How great is our God. Sing with me. Come on. Sing with me. How great is our God. See and all will see how great 
church. Come on, one more time. How great is our God. He's great. How great is our God. Oh, sing with me. How great is our God. Oh, we'll see it. Oh, we'll see how great. How great is our God. You're the name above all names. Let's sing that part. Name above. You're the name above all names. You're worthy. You are worthy of all praise. My heart will sing. to sing how great is my God make it personal come on sing it out church how great is my God sing with me how great is my God and all will see how great how great is my God no one like him name above all names you're the name above all names, and you are worthy. My heart will sing, and my heart will sing. How great is our God! One more time, you're the name above all names. You're the sing, lift your voices. How great is our God. Just the people. One more time. Let's sing together. How great is our God. Sing with me. It's our God. Oh, we'll see how great. How great is our God. There's no one like you, Jesus. And there's nothing that 
that can come against us will, will ever prosper because you are the king of kings, Lord. Thank you for this time to just exalt your holy name and proclaim who our God is. He's great. He's strong. He's everlasting. And we can trust you and we celebrate you. Thank you that we could come together as a congregation, as a body, as a community, and just lift our praises up to you. You are so good. And we just thank you so much for this time, Lord. Prepare our hearts and open our minds and our ears and our eyes to your truth today. Speak to us, Lord. We ask this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. You beautiful guys, go ahead and have a seat. Uh, video of it. But basically what they did is they had a forensic um, sketch artist come in and just listen to somebody describe themselves and then listen to somebody else describe the exact same person. And what you can see really clearly is that the idea, the question of do I really matter resonates deeply in our culture. I mean, you just watch a couple minutes of those videos and you realize this is something that people struggle with so much that Dove, a company that sells health and beauty products, said, hey, whoa, we got, we got to step back here for a second. We've got we've to address the fact that in our culture, there's a real question about do people matter? Do they truly feel like they matter? Because if you ask in a general sense, do people matter? Everyone, of course, says yes. But then you ask, do you feel like you matter? And it doesn't take very long at all to realize this is something our culture and our society struggles with deeply. And so last week, we decided we're going to spend today or last week today and the bulk of our summer taking a look at this question do i really matter for those of you guys that don't know me my name is jeremy jones i'm one of the pastors here on staff and what we decided is that when we decided to tackle this question of do i really matter we wanted to go straight to one of the best sources of that and that's jesus christ and we said that look there are four gospel accounts of jesus's life and each of them tell a slightly different or give us a slightly different glimpse of who jesus is because they're coming from different angles, they're explaining different things. If you look at the book of Matthew, for example, Matthew wants to capture the great teachings of Jesus. And so if you read the book of Matthew, you'll see that there's large sections devoted to things Jesus said. If you look at the book of Mark, for example, Mark is kind of like the Cliff Notes version. He's like, hey, here's the essential items you need to know. It's by far the shortest, but it's here's the main points, here's the main details. Luke was more of like the investigative journalist. He said, I wanted to create an orderly account of the life of Jesus, of what actually happened. But the one that we're going to be looking at and the one that we're going to be spending the bulk of our time in for this summer is the book of John. And so if you come back next week, we're going to be in John. If you come back the week after that, we're going to be in John. The week after that, John. We're making it very simple to keep up to follow along with us this summer. Because what John does is John writes an account of his best friend that changed his life. And so John is writing very much later than most of the other stories. He's writing much later, about 60, 70 years after the events happened, and he's writing down the things that are like, these are the things I would want someone to know if I were going to tell them about how important Jesus is. This, these are the things I would want someone to know about who's really changed my life and what he can do for you. And so for this summer, to answer the question, I matter, we're going to be looking at the book of John. And to kind of kick us off today, we're going to look at the very first miracle Jesus ever performed. To help answer this question, do I really matter, we're going to look at the very first miracle he performed. Now just stop and think for a second. If you were going to perform a miracle, what would you do? And I was thinking about it this week, and depending on what day it was and what was happening at the time, my miracle changed. 
several times I thought, you know what, I would totally clear out the traffic on 80. Like all the construction, like if you could do that, that might do more for humanity right now than just about anything else I could think of. Or, you know, I was thinking the other about, what was it, Thursday night or Friday night or something like that. I was like, I'm really hungry right now. I think a good miracle would be like a really good steak just delivered to your house. You can get a lot of stuff delivered to your house, but really good steak, I was like, I, I don't know. So just think, what would your first miracle be? If you could do anything in the world, would you heal a sick friend? Would you change your financial situation? What would you do if you could do any miracle? What would your first miracle be? Well, in John chapter 2, we get a glimpse and we get to see the story of jo- Jesus' first miracle. So in John chapter 2, starting in verse 1, is where we're going to be today. And to go and see Jesus' first miracle, we've got to go to a party. So starting in John chapter 2, starting at verse 1, here's the story of Jesus' first miracle. It says, On the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, They have no more wine. All right, this is the start of our story. Now here's the deal. Weddings back then were a big deal. Not that weddings today aren't a big deal, but they were even a bigger deal back then than they were today. It was something that you invited the whole town to. It was something you invited all of your friends and neighbors and relatives to. They could last for up to a week, okay? Not a few hours, not a few like, you know, whatever. They lasted, and they could last into an, up to an entire week. These were really, really big deals. Something that Jewish culture back in that day would do is that both when a child was born, whether it was a a male child or a female child, they would start to set aside casks of wine for the wedding. One of the interesting things that would happen is that the wedding feast was seen as a groom's ability to provide for his new spouse. And so you wanted to make sure that you had a good, impressive feast, a good, impressive amount of partying, a good, impressive amount of stuff, because this is your declaration to the world that, hey, this woman I'm marrying, I can take care of her. Also, on the girl's side, the father would start to set aside cask of wine because he would make that part of his dowry that he would give to the groom so that for both families, when, the, when they came together, the wedding represented a, a union of celebration, a union of a lot of good things, and no one wants to be embarrassed. So if the groom side of the family was a little bit poor, maybe the uh, bride side would provide an extra, some extra wine or something like that to just to keep appearances up. So when Mary comes to Jesus and says they're out of wine, this is not like, we'll go down to Rayleigh's, pick up a couple more cases, and we'll be fine. Now, this is a moment of huge embarrassment. I do not know why Mary is aware of this before everyone else. Maybe she was like the party planning committee, I don't know. But she comes and tells Jesus, hey, we, there, there's no more wine. Interestingly enough, if you failed to provide a good enough party, that was grounds for a lawsuit back then. Because think about it. I'm, I'm packing up my family. I'm packing up my kids. We're coming to your town to see this wedding. We're going to be here for a week. You run out of food. All of a sudden, hey, you put a huge cost on me to take care of my family. You said you would provide. So not providing could be grounds for a lawsuit. This is not the way you want a wedding to go. So when we start this story and it's like, there's no more wine, the first time you read it, you're like, big deal, there's no more wine, switch to something else. But no, this is a huge embarrassment for everyone. So Jesus' mother comes to him and says, hey, there is no more wine. And then this is how Jesus replied, and it's one of the funniest things in Scripture because there's no context, so you kind of have to imagine a bit. Jesus uh, says, dear woman, 
Why do you involve me, Jesus replied. My hour has not yet come. I have to believe he said that with like a wink or a smile because here's exactly how Mary responds. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. What? Okay, Jesus says, hey, mom, why, why are you including me? Why are you bothering me with this? And then she turns around and goes, do whatever he tells you. I have to believe that like maybe John could have put in Jesus said with a smile or Jesus said with a wink or whatever because that's not how typically your mom would respond or whatever, but we're going to go with it. So Jesus said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used for the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. Then he told them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. Okay, let's stop again because let's, let's think about just how much work these servants just had to go through. 20 to 30 gallon jars, and there's six of them, and they have to fill them to the brim with water. Now remember, they can't just go to the sink and fill, up the, fill it up with water. They're taking a trip to a well, pulling up a bucket of water, dumping it into something else, walking to the jar, dumping that in, and repeating the process over and over until you have somewhere between 120 and 180 gallons of water. Water is heavy. Water is not the lightest thing ever. So once again, these, guys, these servants put in a ton of work. And Jesus says, okay, fill it up. You filled it up. Okay, good. Take some of the water out and take it to the master of the banquet. They did so. And the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He did not realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. Then he called the bridegroom aside and said, everyone brings out the choice wine first and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink. But you've saved the best till now. Okay, the master of ceremonies had no idea that they were running out of wine. He has, he's unaware of the situation. You know, he's busy making sure, I guess, the cake's being cut at the right time and all the different dances are happening or whatever, something like that. And all of a sudden, they bring him some of this wine and it's like, hey, try this. He tastes it and he's like, oh, whoa. Hey, the way things normally operate in wedding world is you, you serve them the best first. You know, you, you break out the $300 a bottle stuff first, and then once everyone's kind of their taste buds have kind of gotten a little too, uh, too saturated, you bring out what, whatever's like left. You know, you bring out the stuff that they put in a cardboard carton or whatever, you know, something like that. You're, you're getting the cheap stuff that was on wholesale discount, okay? But not you. No, you saved the best wine till last. And so... Then verse 11, what Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory, and his disciples believed in him. Now, why is this story in the Bible? Why is this story Jesus' first miracle? So he saved the wedding. Okay, great deal, big deal. Not quite the same level as healing someone, not quite the same level as you know, feeding 5,000 people or something. Why is this his first miracle? Why is this the story that John remembers so well? And I think it's because of the very thing we're talking about. Jesus is someone who thinks every person matters. Jesus is someone who looks at any one single person and says, you matter to me, not just on a grand cosmic level. You matter to me in the minutia of every single day. There's a couple things in this story that I want to make sure that we, we capture and we pay attention to. The first one is, is that Jesus replaces shame with joy. 
Jesus replaces shame with joy. Think about how shameful the situation the groom found himself in. Here is the day that he's supposed to declare, I'm a man who can take care of a woman and provide for a family. And the one responsibility he had fails. We don't know why it fails. Maybe he came from a very poor background, and so he, he did his best to provide his n- enough supplies, but there was more people than expected. Maybe the, you know, it's usually kind of a, a joint effort between the two families. Maybe his bride came from a poor family. Maybe they came from families that were just like, you know what? We know we're supposed to be providing this, but we've got other concerns. The, the kids will figure it out themselves. We don't know why they ran out of wine. We just simply know that they did. But we know that in that culture, that was a very shaming moment. And Jesus takes a step into that moment. And listen, and the funny thing is, is that in Jesus' first miracle, he doesn't even get credit for it. Notice what he did. He, he had the servants go take a cup to the master of ceremonies. And then what does the master of ceremonies do after he tastes it? He says, oh, get the bridegroom over here. I've got to congratulate him. I've got to tell him what a great job. What a, what a brilliant idea to bring out the best stuff last. No one does that. Jesus' first miracle, he doesn't even get credit for. The disciples knew. Mary, his mother, knew. The servants knew. But everyone else thought the bridegroom had really done an awesome job and provided in the situation. Jesus took the shame of the situation and replaced it with joy. He let someone else get the credit for his very first miracle. I think one of the reasons that this story only appears in John is because at this time, a lot of the disciples had not yet started following Jesus. John was one of the very first, and so he was one of the ones that would have been able to see this and recognize this. But for the vast majority of the world, they're given the bridegroom credit because Jesus cares enough about us to enter into our shame, to enter into our pain, to enter into the moments where we feel like we don't matter, and in surprising, refreshing ways, say, yeah, you do. I've got you. I got your back in this. The second thing that I see in this is that Jesus replaces stale religion with human connection. You're like, okay, where did you get that from, Jeremy? Like, wh- how did that draw out of the story? What did they fill with water? The ceremonial washing jars. Now, here's the deal. The ceremonial washing jars were only to be used for one purpose and one purpose only. You were supposed to ritualistically cleanse your hands before you walked into the temple. That was the only thing you were allowed to do with those, okay? It was not something that God had ever instituted. It was not something that Scripture had ever instituted. It had been added as a human tradition later on. And so Jesus is saying, look, there's this way of living that's all about outward appearance. There's this way of living that's all about making sure things look good on the outside and that you appear proper and that you appear like you're holy and religious, and I'm not interested in that. I'm going to undermine, this would have gotten Jesus kicked out of the temple, by the way, just FYI. This is not just some, oh, well, there's some jars over there, let's go fill them. No, he's deliberately making a statement with this. He takes the ceremonial washing jars, which were completely empty, which tells you a little bit something about the family and the party and stuff like that, and says, okay, we're going to fill them with water, we're going to change it to wine, because it's more important for me to see people having life, for people to be making connections, for the master of ceremonies and the bridegroom to be building this relationship, for people to experience joy, and for them not to start talking about each other behind their back. Well, why did you run out of wine? Well, you know his family, you know his uncle ruined all their livelihoods 20 years, you know. Instead of going down that road, we're going to replace outward spiritual masked religion with true life, with true joy, 
Because when you're truly connected to God and when you're truly connected to Jesus, you spend time connecting with each other. You spend time doing things to bring about life. And so for all of us today, we fall into one of two camps. We either need to be people who know that Jesus loves us and he wants to replace our shame with joy, or we're people who already know that. And if we're people who already know that, we're like, yeah, you know what? Jesus has replaced my shame. Jesus has replaced my sorrow. What am I supposed to do, though? Like, how do I, what do I do with this story? I'm not magic. I can't go walking around saying, hey, boom, wine there, wine there. You know, that's not something I, I would like to, but I can't. So what do we do? Well, as Christians, we follow Jesus' example, and we bring the better wine. In the situations you find yourself, what is the better wine? In the, at work, at your family, at your home, what is the better wine? Basically, what is missing? What is lacking? How can you do something about it? Jesus said, okay, there's, there's no more wine. I will bring not only wine, I'll bring the better wine. In the situations you find yourself, where is there shame? How can you replace shame with joy? Because joy is the better wine. At school, for all of our students in the room, we know that one of the most shameful places every day is the lunch, lunch table. Where am I going to sit? Will anyone allow me to sit with them? As a student, you can replace shame with joy by being the student that says, anyone is welcome here at my table. Anyone can sit here. I'm going to replace your shame with joy because no one likes to have to walk around and know that no one wants them to sit there. At work, okay, like on Sunday, grace is kind of expected. Like if someone comes in there and you get treated really rudely in our lobby, you're like, that's weird. This is a church. Grace is expected here on Sunday. Grace is joy and unexpected on a Tuesday at work. Because why should I extend grace to anyone else? I've got my job. I've got the stuff I'm supposed to be doing. Why can't they get their act together? Why can't they get their life together? So joy on Tuesday could easily be I'm going to be gracious towards someone else. I'm going to treat them like they matter. What does joy look like in your neighborhood? For many of our neighborhoods, we don't talk to each other. For those of you guys that live in a neighborhood that does, that is awesome. Keep doing that. But it's very, very common, especially if you live in an apartment complex or a neighborhood, pull into your garage, shut the door, don't say a word. You go out to check your mail, and you kind of know the neighbor. Maybe they get a heads up, maybe not. But in most neighborhoods, loneliness is a very real thing. I live here. I'm surrounded by people. I don't really know them. They don't really know me. And there's all these people thinking, well, I guess, I guess life is okay for them. I guess life is okay for us. Replace the shame of loneliness and isolation with the joy of getting to know your neighbor. Hey, you matter to me. Come over for dinner sometime. Let's go have some drinks. I got this cool story about wine I can tell you sometime. You know, whatever you want to do. But what, what does it look like in your neighborhood to replace shame with joy? One of the things I think about, what does it look like in our city? What does it look like to help someone take steps forward? What does it look like to bring the better wine? Now, here's the deal. Here's something I want to talk about real quick. In this story, Jesus never lectured the two families about why they ran out of wine. Now, this was a tradition that every single family knew. This was a tradition that was so embedded in the culture, like I said earlier, you could sue someone over failure to provide. But Jesus did not pull the bride's family and the groom's family together and say, okay, guys, look, you knew this. You knew you shouldn't have done this. I'm so disappointed in you. Why didn't you grow up a little bit and provide better? 
he didn't tell them what they should have done. He fixed the situation. This is what I'm talking about with replacing stale religion with real human connection. Our first instinct oftentimes is to want to lecture people about how they got into the situation they found themselves. It's to lecture people about what they could have done differently so as not to be there. Well, if he would just work harder, then maybe I wouldn't feel so angry at him all the time, and then I wouldn't have to be mean to him on Tuesday at work. Okay, that's his work ethic has little to do with whether or not you treat him like a fellow human being. Or at school, well, if she would just dress differently, or if he would just do this, then maybe. And it's like, no, Jesus does not call us to put on the outward appearance and ignore the inner reality. He undermined that in that s- this story completely. He used ceremonial washing jars, which were only for outward appearance, and completely changed their purpose. And so for a lot of us, it's very easy to fall into that pattern. It's very easy to fall in that pattern of saying, well, here's what should have happened. And so because I've kept myself clean, I've done my job. Because I haven't fallen into that trap, I've done my job. But the reality is, is that Jesus is calling us to something more. He's calling us to be the better wine. And being the better wine takes a lot of work. In the story, they filled 120 to 180 gallons of water into those jars. That is heavy work. To be the better wine at your job, to be the better wine at your school, to be the better wine at your neighborhood is going to take work. It's not going to be an easy thing. The payoff is joy, but it's a hard road to get there. And our temptation will always be to just think back into what's easiest. And what's always easiest is to say, well, I don't do this, I don't do that, I don't do this, I keep my nose clean, and therefore I'm a good person. But Jesus is wanting to replace shame with joy. And that's going to take a lot of work. I was thinking about this this week, and I was collecting some stories from people around here. I want to show you some real stories of what it looks like to replace shame with joy. I was talking to a guy this week, and he was telling me about um, a couple that they had been counseling in the last few years here at this church. The couple was pretty close to just going their own separate ways. And he said, why don't you come to this thing that this church does, and you've, you've heard us talk about it, and I think we're actually talking about it today, called Weekend to Remember. It's a weekend where couples can go away, really work on their marriage, really see what God has for them. And they're like, sounds great, can't afford it. The guy said, I'm paying for it. You guys are going. I will cover the cost for you guys to go. Now, could he have sat there and lectured them on, if you really cared about your marriage, you'd scrape together the money. You'd find a way to make it happen. Sure he could have. He'd probably even been right. But the better wine is to say, you know what? I believe in your marriage enough that I want to see it succeed, and so I'm going to take the cost on I'm going to pay for you guys to go. Couple still together to this day, a couple years later. Because that's the better wine. I was talking to another couple. They always have somebody living with them. Like, always. Like, I'm, it's just almost like, you know what? If you just tear out your spare bedroom, you could solve this problem. But no, there's always someone living with them because someone, there's always someone that needs counseling. There's always someone that needs, like, a stable living environment. There's always someone that needs a stable situation. And so whether it's for six weeks or six months or whatever, there's always someone living with them. And could they, could they talk to these people and say, look, you made a lot of bad decisions getting here. And if you'd grown up a little bit and hadn't done this or hadn't done that, you wouldn't be in this situation. Of course they could. They'd be 100% right. But the better wine is to say, you know what? Here's where we are. How do we get ahead? So look, you come in, and we're going to work on some life skills. We're going to work on some development. I'm going to make sure that you have a place that you can feel safe, and we're going to help you get forward because that's the better wine. See, here's the thing that I wish all of us would take home with us today, and it's this. 
Lives don't change when people receive information they've never had before. Lives change when people receive love like they've never experienced before. The world is not suffering from a lack of knowledge. You can Google anything and get 40 million results, okay? People aren't walking around like, I wish I knew this. I never heard that before. That's brand new information. What people do not have is real examples of love. We want people to come to Jesus so badly. But if you look at the example of the Gospels, and if you look at the example of Jesus' life, long before a lot of people believed in him, they'd experienced love from him. He'd fed them. He'd clothed them. He'd healed them. He'd cared for them. And then he told his disciples to go and do the same. And so much of our world right now is not desperately crying out for someone to preach a sermon at them, even though that's what I'm up here doing. What they're really, really crying out for is someone to love them and show them a different way. So much so that Dove has noticed it. So much so that companies are like, hey, we can make money off the fact that people are desperate and lonely. And we'll, we'll tell them, hey, if you buy Dove products, you'll feel better about yourself. Don't get me wrong. I have nothing against Dove. I'm really glad they made the commercial. But it's like the world realizes that this is an exploitable thing. We, as the church, can be a group of people that do something with it. And so today, the question I have for you is which camp do you fall into? Are you someone who's been walking through life thinking that there's something wrong with you and God doesn't love you? If so, I pray that this story shows that even in the smallest details, even in the smallest story, God does love you. Or are you someone who's walked around today and says, you know what, I know God loves me. In which case, we need to, we need to band together as a church and start bringing the better wine. The world is desperately thirsty for it. They want to be loved. They need to be loved. They need to know they matter. And so it's my prayer as a church that today, whichever camp you fall into, you would take a step this week to either accept Jesus' love or to share it with someone new, to share it with someone else. Because when Jesus died on the cross, shame died with him. And only Jesus came back to life. So don't let the dead shame that Jesus died for still control you. It's gone. It's dead. 2,000 some years ago, he buried it. Don't let something dead still control your life. We're going to pray. And if you, need to, if you need someone to talk to, I pray you go back to our prayer room right around the corner here on the right. We have people that would love to talk to you. And then in just a second, we're going to take communion and remember the sacrifice of Jesus, that he replaces everyone's shame with joy. So if you would, pray with me now. Our dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for the chance to gather together. I thank you for the chance to be a people who get to know that we matter. We get to matter in the smallest, tiniest ways, in the smallest and tiniest things. Lord, you care enough to, even, even at a party, even at a wedding, even where places where people are, have drunk all the wine, you're like, you know what, I will still show up and let people know they matter. Because that's the God we serve, the one that cares not just about us on a grand cosmic scale, but cares about us on an individual daily life situation as well. Thank you, Lord, for your sacrifice on behalf of us. My prayer is today that someone would accept that love, accept you as Lord and Savior of, your li of their life, and take a step. My prayer for everyone else is we would be busy working hard to bring the better wine. And it's in Christ's name I pray. Amen.